Welcome back to At The Corner. I'm your host, Zach. And after a little bit of a hiatus because of some things I had to do, uh, we're back with another episode for you guys. This one is the live show that we did with Justin Lotta. Obviously, y'all know who Justin is. Uh, Big Prospects guy, works for Guardians Baseball Insider. Uh, So stay tuned to this one. You guys are going to want to hear it. We talk a lot about prospects. We talk a lot of everything. It's actually been long enough from the show that I don't even remember what all we talked about. We talked about Valera, Naylor. We did some rapid-fire style questions. Uh, and there's a lot of really good stuff in here, so you guys are want to check it out. I'm not going to waste any of your time, so let's go. You're listening to At The Corner, a Cleveland Guardians podcast by Zach Caldwell and Chuck B, brought to you by Network 216. Fastball hit in the air. A swing and a drive! Away back! Goal! All right, like I said, uh, we do these live shows on Twitch. We try to catch them on Thursdays when the team either has an afternoon game or a night game. Uh, this was our one from this past week that we did with Justin Lotto. We talk a lot about prospects, and we have another one coming this week for you guys on Thursday, uh, the 18th. Uh, that one is going to be with TJ Zuppi. Yeah, that TJ Zuppi of the Selby's Godcast. Former athletic writer, big Guardians fan, does uh, Selby's Godcast with Zach Mizell. So you guys aren't going to want to miss that. Thursday night, 8 p.m. on Twitch. Be there or be square. I'm going to hand you guys over to an ad, and then we'll go into the show with Justin Lotta. As always, I'm going to take a second to tell you guys about today's sponsor. Today is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. All of us here at Network 2 and 6 are sponsored by Underdog. It is the best and simplest place to play your daily fantasy games. I play a lot of the Major League Baseball daily fantasy drafts, and I'll tell you all about it. All I do is I play the six-player drafts. I usually play $3 entries, and you draft one pitcher, two outfielders, two infielders, and a flex. Try to draft the best, whoever gets the most points based on hits for batters, home runs, walks, on base. And then for pitchers, strikeouts, innings pitch, runs allowed, so forth. Get the highest score. Try to win some cash. I'm actually on my fourth straight day of winning my fourth straight draft as the time of recording this. And I'm about to do another one for tonight. And I'm going to be making a video explaining to you guys how to do daily fantasy and how to win. Some stats you guys want to look at. So be looking out for that on the Network 216 YouTube. Again, Underdog is the place for all your daily fantasy stuff. If you sign up with the code 216, Underdog will match your first deposit up to $100. Again, that is Underdog Fantasy. Sign up with code 216, get your first deposit matched up to $100, and all you got to do is go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app in the App Store. Ladies and gentlemen, Cleveland baseball fans, welcome to Guardians at the Corner on the Network 216 channel. I'm your host, Zach. I'm joined by my co-host, Chuck, and we have a special guest with us tonight. We are joined by Justin Lotta of Guardians Baseball Insider. Justin, thank you for joining us. How are you, my good man? I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Happy to talk prospects and Guardian stuff. It's a a good time right now. Absolutely. Uh, Not much more of an exciting time with the Guardians being in first place, rocking one of the youngest uh, rosters in Major League Baseball. And uh, we are not done yet with the Major League debuts. Obviously, the news just coming out yesterday that Peyton Battenfield will be joining the team for the series in Toronto. Uh, Let's just start off. I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, What do you think about the season that Battenfield has been having? And what do you think uh, his ceiling is? as far as the major leagues and what our expectations should be for this series. 
Yeah, I would actually say he's not had as good a season as I think he's capable of. He uh, had a pretty good season last year when he got over to Cleveland when he started pitching for Akron, and uh, he's really pitched a lot of innings this year. Last year. Yeah, yeah, he struck out. I was actually looking through stuff yesterday. He actually struck out 10 um, against Bowie in the Eastern League Championship last year. He had a really good start. Um, hasn't missed as many bats this year. He's been a workhorse. He's had no problem racking up innings. He's definitely um, – you know, kept the hit total low. He's he's pitched very well. He's given runs off the board. Just hasn't missed as many bats uh, as he did last year, and as we thought he would. But you know, overall, it's really solid stuff. Like I said, he's a workhorse type starter, and uh, it's a good opportunity for him. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that maybe Hunter Gaddis got the the call over him last weekend against Houston, and I think that's kind of telling in a way. But also, you know, it's Battenfield's one of the guys that has pitched this long in the organization at least this year, and um, was due for a shot. Yep, I think you're right. You uh, you mentioned he has been a workhorse. He's pitched just about half of his total minor league inning career innings pitched uh, this season, actually. Um, he has been a workhorse for AAA Columbus, and uh, he did have a pretty rocky start, I think maybe three or four starts ago, where he gave up six runs in three innings. Uh, but since then, he's been solid. He's not striking out a lot of batters, but... Uh, he is effective. He does have, I believe it's, correct me if I'm wrong, the third lowest ERA among qualified pitchers uh, in the International League. Uh, and that is, that's no small task, um, especially to, you know, go through the minor league season and do your best to stay consistent. And I think the club has recognized that. <laughs> and it is funny you said it because I think it was maybe a week or two ago. He had a really good, he had that really good start where he went eight innings and he struck out seven. <laughs> And you were like, I'm going to have to mute the word call up. I remember that. Yeah. It was getting bad for a while. Yeah, it was getting bad for a while. Uh, I do think it's interesting that the club is probably going to be using him in a bit of a bullpen situation, um, especially seeing as how Cody Morris has to be added to the 40-man roster tomorrow uh, because his rehab assignment time is up. Um, do you think that we see Cody Morris this year? Do you think that's possible? I- yeah, I, I do think you'll see him before the end of the year. I don't know if it'll be in the next time. Uh, he's supposed to pitch on Sunday, so I think he'll probably take that turn in the rotation on Sunday. And then after that, I guess we'll see where things stand after that. But he's, he's just about ready. His last outing was was pretty dazzling. And uh, I don't know that the the St. Saint Paul Saints, the, the Minnesota Twins AAA lineup, not, not filled with a lot of prospects and a lot of guys that have had Tons of major league success, but you know he was still pretty good nonetheless. So I think you will see him before the year is out for sure. There's Absolutely. a there's a double hitter on Monday versus Detroit. Um, is that a is that a, that's probably going to be Pilkington because he'll probably be the 27th man. But like, there, there's no way that's Cody Morris, right? It'd probably be Pilkington. Let's see. Uh, Pilkington pitched yesterday. That was Wednesday. So, and you said the double hitter is when next Saturday? Monday. No, no this Monday. Oh, Monday. This Monday. Detroit. Uh, yeah, I would say it probably, probably would be Pilkington because, like I said, Morris is lined up to start on Sunday right now. I mean, unless they scratch him last second, um, I would probably guess on Pilkington. Is there a chance if Battenfield doesn't get doesn't get used in the series in Toronto that maybe he'll start mo- on Monday? Just throwing that out there. No, because he's he's only up to to cover for Karen Check, so he's not even on the forty man roster. He can only be up on the forty for as long as Karen Check is out for. He's not actually on the 40-man roster. He's there as an right. exemption, so they would have to make a move to add him if that was the case. Right. Even then, regardless, it's still pretty cool. Like, you know, we don't 
we don't bash people for their personal decisions. You know, Karen Chak has his decision is his choice, but I do think it it is pretty cool that the club is choosing Battenfield to step up in that opportunity, uh, even if it's you know just maybe to get a couple innings uh, worth of a look. Um, I don't think they're done with him. I think uh, they're working with him on some stuff. Like you said, his strikeout rate is pretty down this year, um, but he is effective. He pitches to weak contact. He limits free base runners. He gets the job done. So that is interesting. So for those, uh, we talked a little bit about Cody Morris. So Cody Morris is a name that has only come around sort of recently in guardian circles. People have been paying attention to him because he's been doing good things. But uh, what can you tell us about Cody Morris that we should be excited about? Well, a lot of what what there is to get excited about probably came from last year, actually, surprisingly. Um, 2019, he was a pretty good pitcher. He um, Cleveland was kind of limiting his innings. He had just come back in <clears throat> uh, 2018 out of college. Kind of a long, long college World Series run, and he had, you know, had injuries in college. So after the pandemic, he came back, and after he got hurt last year, uh, which last year I think was a core muscle injury for him. So he came back. He was thrown a lot harder than he did in the past. He was, you know, previously was about 92 to 95. Last year he started throwing 94, 96, and getting up to 99. And this year he's kind of settled in around 93, 95, still hitting 97. Uh, he's kind of changed his delivery. He's more out of the stretch a little bit or uh, from the set position. He's not really using much of a windup anymore. And, uh, the shape on his fastball looks like it's it's taken a, a turn up, which is good because his fastball before was fine, but it was a little bit flat and it lacked some some life on it. Could be easily hittable if he left it over the plate. So uh, the fastball is much better. It's electric now, and he's kind of added a cutter slider hybrid, which a couple guys in the organization actually have now, where he throws it low in the zone. It's kind of more of a, a slider, and then up in the zone, it's more of a cutter, but it works very well. Um, and on lefties in a way, and inside and righties, and then. Curveball is still a good pitch. He hasn't really used it a ton this year that I've seen, but the curveball is still a really good pitch for him. It was probably his best secondary in 2019 before the pandemic and the injury. And then uh, changeup is probably his second best offering. I think the changeup has come a long way for him, and um, changeup might be his second best pitch now. So he's got a full, you know, arsenal out there, and whatever, whatever role he's in, I think he'll be just fine. He's got pretty solid control. He doesn't really walk a ton of batters. There's just a lot to be excited about because the stuff is – you know, just raw is very good. Um, Justin, so obviously there's a lot of health concerns with Cody Morris. Um, do you th- this year? There's only really like, well, like maybe like like less than sixty games left in the season. So, do you think out of spring training next season they'll let him work as a, like uh, give him a chance to start to work as a starter going going into next season instead of just in the bullpen? Yeah, I think that's uh, it's going to be more of a question of the makeup of the roster. I don't know, you know, it's going to depend on who's here still. Are they going to explore trades for Police Sack or Savali or, or Bieber? Even um, <clears throat> do they think that Curry and Gaddis and Battenfield and um, to Morris? Do they think they're starters. Is Pilkington still here? You know, that that's the big thing for them is in AAA this year. The only guys they've had that really had any, they didn't have any guys with experience down there. You know, they, the only guy they had with some experience starting was Eli Morgan and they shifted him to the bullpen full time and they left that, they let that go. And I thought for sure Morgan would go to triple a after the roster cut down from 28 to 26 to start because they had no depth down there. And 
So they've been relying on Pilkington all year, and they went with uh, Kirk McCarty and Tanner Tully when they had to, you know, out, out of necessity. So they really didn't have any experienced depth at, down there, which they, us- they usually have had. They didn't have any in 2021 either because, you know, you saw Henches and, and J.C. Mejia, which it didn't go very well. So I think it's going to depend on, on the makeup of, of the roster next year at this point. Um, the stuff really is too good to not give him another shot, but at the same time, you know, he's getting a little bit older. He's, I think, going to be 26, and and the injuries have kind of piled up, so you've got to be kind of careful with what you're going to do with him. Um, I would probably bring him in as a starter next year, the way things stand, but, you know, do you risk another injury? And at the same time, you know, do you – how many how many starters do you have around? So I guess it's, it's a question of what they do in the offseason at this point. Right. I think you it's that's a good thought because I think uh, Chris Antonetti joined uh, both the radio broadcast and the TV broadcast for a game this last week talking about with the trade deadline passing. Um, I believe the front office is fully expecting a very active winter. Uh, have some guys that I believe the club values enough that need to be protected in the rule five draft uh, specifically that comes to my mind that is not on the 40 man roster. Uh, Joey Cantillo, um, Joey Cantillo would have been eligible in the rule five draft this past year. Obviously there wasn't one because of the lockout, um, but Cantillo's had a really good season. I don't think the club is going to risk leaving him unprotected because uh, I genuinely don't believe there's a way that he's still in the organization. Um, if he is left unprotected, heck we probably wouldn't have had him, this year, we're lucky to still have him. So we talked about Cody Morris. We talked about Peyton Battenfield. Um, let me ask you this. So who in your mind is a prospect that maybe we don't talk about as much that we should pay attention to? You know, obviously we talk about the likes of like George Valera, Bo Naylor, Logan Allen, Xavier Curry. Uh, we talk about Gavin Williams. Who in your mind is somebody that we should know about and start paying attention to? Doug McKenzie. <laughs> I, I like that. I do like I did like Doug McKenzie a lot coming to the year. He's he's having a good night tonight, actually. I don't think he has any walks tonight for the first time in a while, but um I was excited for his debut. But the guy I'm kind of surprised no one's talking about more, and I think has started to get some some traction this year is Will Brennan, who's you know doing really well at triple A. He yeah. started off the year hot at double A and plenty of doubles, really nice profile. Um, you know, has some power, has added some power to his game, didn't it for a lot of power in college, can run the base as well. Um, plays a good outfield, has a great arm. He was a two-way player in college. So that's a guy who I think has, if you want to talk about, doesn't exactly have the um, same plate discipline or strong, uh, the same batting eye as Stephen Kwan, but he doesn't miss, swing and miss a lot. He does take his walks and he makes a lot of contact. So he's kind of in the Stephen Kwan mold with a little bit, maybe less, elite contact rate, but uh, a little more pop in the bat, but overall very good profile who I think uh, he's not on a lot of top prospect lists for um, a lot of national outlets for Cleveland, but he should be. Justin. So I was, I'm really high on Brennan. It's just so hard to like think about how he's going to get at bats with, with how crowded the outfield is right now. Like forget like, it, it, you got Nolan Jones, Oscar Gonzalez, Miles Straw, Will Benson, who's not who's not even who's not playing, which just annoys me. Um, and then, and then next year you got Valera. It's it's just hard to like find a way for him to get at bats. So obviously, a lot of stuff can change. Maybe Nolan Jones was the first. Uh, maybe 
there, there's a trade that happens. It's just it's just so hard for me to find out find a path for him to get at bats. You know, in, in that outfield. You know, that's my problem with it, really. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do. It, it's going to be tough for sure. He's got to be added to the rule for the the forty man roster this off season too, and definitely a guy they're going to look to protect if they don't, you know, use him in a trade. Maybe that's the route they go. There's there's a lot of ways they could go this off season with their with their prospects on the 40 or guys at the end of the 40 they definitely have to make a decision here to decide who is worthy of, of sticking around or who they who they like enough to stick around who they think has enough value to bring something back in a trade they, they can use right now that's a good thought because there's not a more i mean honestly so far as much as i follow the guardians i've always tried to pay attention to who is in the farm system i cannot remember a time when the farm system was teeming with so many prospects that all needed like a decent amount of major league at bats to find out if they pan out at the major league level. You know, you've got Nolan Jones, the team's former number one prospect. You've got Oscar Gonzalez, who was able to cut his strikeout rate uh, and get his contact up and have a really good season at AAA. And thus so far in the major league season coming off his injury has still been very good. Uh, You've got the former first round pick in Will Benson. You've got Will Brennan. You've got George Valera. I can't remember a time, hell, in the last 20 years when our outfield depth in terms of prospects was so deep. Um, Do you think that's an organizational shift? Or do you think that's just the product of good drafting? Yeah, just the product of good drafting. I mean, the biggest thing, and obviously any in baseball for drafting, is taking the best player on your board and you figure it out later because, you know, you're not really drafting for position, but... You know, they found guys on the board they really liked, and they felt like they had skill sets they could develop. I mean, just talking about what happened with Stephen Kwan last year, Will Brennan kind of following the same thing. They've got other, other guys that have followed the same, the same suit. And I think the biggest thing you could say they shifted to was more guys that make good contact, and they feel like they can kind of help them add power, whereas you can't take uh, – it's very hard. You know, Will Benson is a uh, a success story in his own right for what he's done, but – it's a lot harder to take guys that have a hard time making contact and helping them with that, but they have big raw power. So I would say that's the only, only uh, shift you've really seen hitting wise. You know, they had a very hard time producing outfielders and any hitters for quite some time, but they have found a skill set they think translates well to the majors and that they're able to develop and help them turn into productive big leader leaders. I think that's well said. And, you know, obviously the fruits of that are paying off firsthand uh it's it's a pretty interesting problem to have where you have (laughs) too many mouths to feed and not enough at bats and it's frustrating because you want to see those guys um you want to see them get at bats and get work you know you want to see guys like tyler freeman who has a very good hit tool bat to ball skills and great game yes he he did he did have a great game and he did have a very good defensive play (laughs) where he robbed javier baez of a hit uh, made a nice strong throw to first. So let's quell the Tyler Freeman doesn't have an arm thing. Um, Stephen Kwan has been remarkable this year. Like he, <laughs> he has. His I base, will admit, I did not know who Steve. I did not know Stephen Kwan before the preseason. His his on base percentage is like three like seventy five, almost at three seventy five. He he's just remarkable and like. Justin, I, I read something that you tweeted out today. There's a ridiculous rule that, like, you, 
so we don't get basically, but like anything about like the CBA talk just gives me anxiety because it just brings me back to like bad flashbacks of like what in the off season. But like apparently there's a rule that because we called up Stephen Kwan before the season started, and if he's a top three player, if he's a top three player, he gets a bonus of a uh, compensation. And we get it, and we get a draft pick. That's their way of incentivizing teams to to call players right away. But he doesn't qualify for it because he's not like a, a he's not in MLB's pipeline top top five prospects or top ten prospects, as opposed to Baseball America or Fangraphs or it just it's just it's insane. It's a ridiculous rule. Yeah, the rule the rule is it it was. Um... Baseball, it was Baseball America, ESPN, or MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospects. So if the player appeared there, and or I think I think it's two out of three actually, it'd be two out of three. So um, all those guys, if they were up on opening day, if they finished in top three of uh, Rookie of the Year voting, th- those teams get a co- draft pick compensation. Uh, but, but yeah, Steve Kwan doesn't but qualify because he was not any of those. But base it off the the production. Who cares what list he was on? He he he's a, he's a rookie making his major league debut. Just base the bonus and the compensation off the production of the player, not where he was ranked by random like outlets before the season started. It's just it's yeah, just they insane. really should have done it based on voting. I'm not really sure why they decided to go the top 100 rule. I think it was probably to to appease maybe more of the guys that were closer to the big leagues who had they were concerned would have their service time in it because the biggest thing with that is if you're a top hundred prospect, if you're in that, you know, and top hundred stuff can, can vary site to site as we see, I think that was their incentive because, you know, a guy like Stephen Kwan, who's, you know, 25 and or 24, he'll turn 25 here in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, if he's not top hundred prospect, well, Cleveland's not really concerned with manipulating a service time because he's not a Julio Rodriguez. He's not an athlete Rutschman. Those are the guys that, um, you know, those teams want to manipulate their service time because they're guys that are going to be either going to Super 2 or they're going to be getting our uh, free agency young at a young age. And obviously Baltimore still didn't call up Rutschman on opening day, so they're not going to get that pick. But um, the, that, the rule was put in place for those guys. It really wasn't put in place for, you know, Stephen Kwan's of the world, unfortunately. And it is it is a very weird, weird thing for the, the Players Association to agree to. But the Players Association also has a way of um, – they're not legally allowed to bargain for minor leaguers because they're not part of the union, but they have a really, you know, tacky history of kind of making things a lot harder for future union members for whatever reason. I think we saw that a lot um, in the off season because the game, it, this frustrated me a lot during the off season. The players union's whole thing was, you know, we want to prevent service time manipulation. We want to prevent tanking. Um, and I feel like really at the end of the day, nothing changed. Uh, there's still, there's, there's no penalty to teams that don't spend. So you have teams like the Rays that run a floor budget every year. Uh, they develop prospects and let them walk into free agency and then they deconstruct and do it all over again. Um, and then you still have teams like the Dodgers that can afford to spend over the luxury tax cap where they can pay that penalty, uh, and just stack their team. And then you have everybody that falls in between. Uh, And I feel like nothing changed. Do you feel like nothing changed? Do you feel like things maybe got a little better? Or do you think that maybe when the CBA comes up again in five years, we may actually be in for 
a healthier, lengthier strike. Just the term CBA just gives me anxiety. I know. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. Nothing does it doesn't seem like anything's really changed. I mean, you weren't going to get a salary floor without a salary cap, so um, that's the only way that the players were going to get a salary floor if they agreed to a salary cap, and they already feel like they had a salary cap with the luxury tax, and they didn't push the luxury tax as high as they wanted it to go. That was a big fight too. Um, I mean, some of the things changed. You know, you got um, better money for younger players, which is good. They're going to get paid a little bit better, which, you know, that's always a good thing for guys that are one to two or zero to two. They have that top, is it top 50? I Top 50 or top 100 players with zero to two years service time. They're not arbitration eligible, but they can get money out of the this pool they put together. The so there's pool. that. Yeah, so that you know that's that's a bit of improvement because obviously your best guys uh, who aren't arbitration eligible are getting you know put in a tough spot year after year and not getting their fair share. Um, yeah, I don't know. Five years from now, a lot a lot could happen. I don't know. It, it's it's so hard because I th- I feel like the the players union, you know, they made some progress for sure. I don't know if they made enough progress, but uh, I think as long as they continue to look at it as a you know the the player the the owners took away so much for so long and kept winning this fight year after year that it's going to take multiple rounds of bargaining to, to kind of chip back in. So as long as they take the long game at it and, you know, realize they can't get it all back with one bite, then I think it'll be fine. My, my problem with it. I, I don't want to, I don't want to spend our valuable time with the great Justin Ladd talking about the CBA, but I, I problem with it always just, just in closing on this topic you know the play. You know the players union are going to look out for themselves and their and you know and their financial gains, and the owners are always going to look out for their bottom lines. But who's actually looking at what's what's in best interest of the game of baseball? Like who's actually looking out for what's what's best f- for the sport, not just their own bottom lines? That's what bothers me. It's so petty. The whole it's it's just the whole thing just bothers me. You know? No, you're right. It's it's it, it's supposed to be commissioner. The commissioner is supposed to be the steward of the game, and oh yeah, I definitely you definitely uh, definitely have an issue there. Yeah. So, Justin, I want to get your uh, I want to get your thoughts on. So we touched on some position players. We still have some that we got to talk about, but I want to shift oh. gears just for a little bit and uh, let, let's talk about some pitching. So, uh, I'm gonna go Guardians, first. Go ahead. <laughs> Xavion Curry, Justin. I'm really high on him. Uh, he's having a good year. He's pitched very well his last two outings, also AAA. Um, a lot of people worry about his size and the frame. Um, his fastball is, is up to like 95, I think, he, or he was touching 95. Uh, this, the, he doesn't really have a secondary offering that jumps out at you. Um, w- but a lot of people write him off as a as a you know bullpen length guy or a fifth starter. Do, what, do, what do you think of him, Justin, in terms of what his ceiling possibly could be? Yeah, I think he's kind of a back rotation type guy. He definitely look good in the bullpen. Uh, he does have the tools to to fit good back there. Um, maybe can be a more of an impactful reliever than he would be a starter. I mean, the fastball plays above its velocity. I mean, it's ninety to ninety four, and it's got a lot of carry to it. It works well up in the zone. Um, he does have to locate it. I think it has to, you know, he loses out of the plate. It does have the ability to get hit. Um, I was watching his last outing, actually, and he was throwing a lot of sliders. So I think his slider's gotten better this year. I always thought his curveball was his best uh, best secondary, and it's close to being as good as his fastball. Yeah. 
Um, the changeup's fine. I think that's going to be the issue for him. Is he has two two legitimate breaking balls? I think he can offer with. I just don't know how the changeup's going to fare against major league hitting, and I think that's going to be the issue for him is uh, getting left-handers out. And I think in a bullpen role, he's got three three pitches that could really work out well for him. Um, no reason not to to you know put him in the bullpen now, but um, I think he can have value as a a guy who's a fifth star of the rotation, or maybe you know the guy who gets called up for double headers or um, comes up when there's an injury. I definitely think he has a major league future. I just think maybe maybe long term the greater impact would be felt in the bullpen. So my next one is um, so Chuck asked about Xavier Curry. So where do you think we're at in the pitching log jam? So we've obviously seen Hunter Gaddis uh, get his major league debut. Uh, that was a bit of a, a tall order. I, I didn't think I, I didn't think he looked terrible until the third inning. Uh, he he kind of lost his command, and I mean, who can really blame him? Taking on the Astros for your first major league start is a daunting task. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed about him watching him, you know, we've all talked about how good his curveball looks. Um, Watching the game in high definition and actually seeing him strike out a couple guys with that changeup. That changeup um, on, on Yuri Gurriel, my God, that was yes. beautiful. Uh, what do you think uh, his ceiling is? Do you, do you see him being a bullpen guy? Do you see him being a 27th man? Um, does he fit into the barn door that is burning down of Logan Allen and Gavin Williams um, and Daniel Espino if he can be healthy? Or is he a guy with a decent enough ceiling that he would be somebody that you bundled in like a package for a trade to avoid giving him away for free? Um, should he not be on the 40 man roster? Yeah. I don't know if how much trade value Hunter Gass really has. I mean, I think people are still trying to figure out what his best fit is. The fastball taking a step forward this year has been a big deal for him. He went from, you know, 90 to 92 to 94 to, 92, 94 and hitting 97, which is really good for him. And the slider, I think, has improved this year. The curveball, as you saw, you know, has some value to it. And then the changeup is just a, a nice wipeout pitch. I, I've really thought long term he was probably a bullpen guy. He obviously has the size to start. He's a huge dude. Um doesn't walk a ton of guys. He did his walk rate went up a little bit in triple A, but that was two starts. So I don't know how much you could really put into that. The you know the the control is just about average. He's not going to walk too many guys, but he's not, you know, obviously not Corey Kluber command wise. Nobody is, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's really for him going to come down to how much control he has to stay in the rotation. And I think he has enough pitches to the fat, the fastball velocity definitely um, is a separator for him. I think that gives him more of a shot to stay in the rotation. Now probably ends up as a, a four or five guy long-term in the rotation. I think it's going to be hard though, to hold off. Like you said, Allen and, and Williams and Espino and some other guys, and maybe I don't know how many rookie starters they really want to rely on to bridge the gap to the real next wave. They're going to have to move somebody just because they don't have room for them all. But um, I think he'd be fine in the bullpen. We've seen like Eli Morgan's changeup in the bullpen has been great, and Gaddis is similar. And obviously, Gaddis if Gaddis goes to the bullpen with his current bound velocity, he might end up you know, touching 99 to a hundred, which would be, you know, a lot of fun out there and a lot of give Cleveland another weapon back there that throws hard next to class a, but um, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to see where he fits on the roster. And like I said, the fastball velocity, I think definitely gives him 
uh, a bit more utility to stick in the rotation. Um, Zach, I'm just going to ask just the one on here. Go ahead. Daniel Espino, um, obviously, his, you know, his ceiling is through the roof. Um, top 10, the second best pitching prospect in all of baseball on the pipeline. Could be the best pitching prospects, prospects in CC Sabathia uh, in Cleveland. So, first, you know, he has knee tendonitis. We're like, okay, there's no, it's not the shoulder, it's not the elbow. Then a few weeks go by, he has shoulder, he had shoulders, he had shoulder discomfort or stiffness or something like that, uh, trying to ramp up. So, okay, you know, we'll be back in like a month. And then the trade deadline hits, and then we're dropped the bomb on us that he's, you know, he's doing well, but he's not going to pitch anytime soon, basically. Is this more like a, I remember when Tristan McKenzie got hurt, they just like they just shut him down. They just said, you know, take the t- all the time in the world and just, you know, just we're not going to rush you at all and just we're just going to shut you down then in next year we'll, we'll just we'll just re-up. Obviously it's, it's we want to see him pitching, but is it maybe they're just being super super cautious with him as opposed to there being like legitimate sh- concerns? Like I just I just feel like this is like a Tristan McKenzie situation where they're just completely just completely shutting them down. And I'll, ask gonna, you, I'll ask you. I'll ask you on this too. I'll ask you on this too. Do you think that the club views his delivery as too violent and maybe a reason as to why he might be injury prone? Um, and do you see them trying to work on his mechanics a bit? No, they've they've already worked with his mechanics. So when he was an, uh, an amateur, he had a very long arm swing and was a little bit more slow and deliberate. They've sped that up. They've cut down on the arm swing. So they've already worked with him. Uh, on his delivery. I think they're in a good spot and he knows his delivery very well. Uh, I wouldn't say it's violent at all. He repeats it very well. He's very smooth. He's a, he's a tremendous athlete, very flexible, uh, does a lot of stretching and, and just is really good about his body. So I don't think there's any issue with the delivery there. You know, the knee thing happened covering first base and uh, I still remember his last pitch. He, he threw, I think it was a 99 mile hour fastball down the middle and struck somebody out. And then the next, next batter, he was done. And I'm like, geez, if that's how this guy throws on a bad knee, that's pretty insane. Um, the <laughs> yeah. shoulder, you know, the shoulders are tricky, and, and it's definitely concerning. You definitely, any, I think that's worse than Tommy John because anytime you have to have shoulder surgery, that really impacts a lot, and uh, especially for a kid like Kiss. So, shoulder, you know, you never want to hear that. So, I would say definitely reason to be concerned about the shoulder. I would say they're definitely being conservative as well. Um, you know, he he ramped back up from the knee injury. The shoulder started hurting. It's really hard for guys to, you know, ramp up and ramp down. Like he got hurt, didn't throw because of the knee. He started to try to throw a bullpen, didn't work. Um, you know, he's working back up with the knee and then the shoulder starts hurting. So, you know, getting hot again and, and getting hurt and, and trying to stretch himself back out, that's a lot to ask. And I think that's why they're being a bit cautious here because they don't want to ramp him up and then send him back out to an affiliate before he's ready and, have him get hurt again and then go into the off season with a bunch of health questions. I think they would rather see him go into the off season uh, healthy and have him ready to go at the start of next season. So I'd, I'd be very surprised uh, what it's August 11th today. I, yeah, it, if he hasn't started throwing at this point, I would be very surprised to see him again this year, but I think they would like to have him have a clean bill of health going into spring training. Do you think he'll start out next year at double a just for a few yeah, yeah, I mean, he only pitched, what, 18 innings there? So, yeah, I would say he'll, he'll go back to double-A next year. 
Yeah. Mo will be 22, right. so he'll be right on par. Yeah. So who do you think has the higher ceiling, Espino or Gavin Williams? And we haven't even talked about Tanner Bybee yet. Good Lord. Lions and Tigers and Bears. Oh, my. Um, just <laughs> the incredible pitching depth that we're blessed with uh, to watch these guys be able to develop and do well. Um, so obviously, like Espino's ceiling is very high, provided he can stay healthy. You know, he's not typically in my time in Cleveland fandom, what we've seen come from the Guardians farm system. You know, he's a flamethrower. He's a plus plus fastball guy. And uh, if you guys have not watched any film on him, yes, if you guys have not watched any film on him, you need to go watch it because you're going to be blown away. But, you know, we see that, too, with Gavin Williams. Gavin Williams has a plus fastball. Um, Tanner Tanner Bybee's got a plus fastball. Um, Who out of all these guys, and I say all these guys, it could be everybody, who are you most excited about? I'm surprisingly, I'm actually most excited about Tanner Bybee. I think the the gains he's made this year are really yep. real, and um, the fastball is so hard to square up. It gets on hitters because of it, the uh, the approach it comes in at the. Um, it's just a very hard angle for hitters to square up, and it stays in the zone. He's got good command. He's got, I think, three three above average pitches, maybe average at, at the worst. I think the changeup and the fastball are both above average and I think the slider is maybe average at worst. So, and the fact that he has such good command, I think is, is the big separator there. When you've got a guy who can throw a fastball, that's hard to get on top of, you know, that can touch 99 and then he can, you know, come back with a kind of change if he has in the slider and the curveball is not bad either. Um, I just think that that's a really special package to have. I mean, they never even got Shane Bieber throwing that hard. And obviously he's the loss is a question for him right now, but, Tanner Bobby is a very similar story where he was not highly recruited out of high school. And then yeah, so college was throwing in the low nineties and now he's touching 99. Yeah. So I, I actually, so me, so Zach and I, we spoke to uh, coach Scott Beebe, um, Scott Bybee, uh, Tanner's Tanner's dad. Yep. Uh, we had, we had him on our podcast. So I actually, I, 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 I told him the same exact thing. Our, Bybee's emergence is literally very it reminds me a lot of Shane Bieber. He wasn't a highly drafted guy. wasn't the start to his career wasn't really a top ten guy in in, in prospect rankings. Then he shot up the the entire system within one year, and then he got I think then he got a call up I think in a year and a half maybe I think it was start against the Twins in his first start, and then he's he's the ace of the major league staff basically in the following year. Doesn't is doesn't he really remind you a lot of Shane Bieber's rise in the system? He, he's a top one hundred prospect probably right now if they actually had real like mid mid season rankings. Um, he's gonna. I mean, you said the other day, Justin. He's gonna be. He's a guarantee top one hundred prospect next year. Um, but doesn't his rise really remind you of Shane Bieber, like like college college guy? Um, you know, just really rise fast fast riser in the, within the system. Yeah, I, I would say it's very similar. He didn't, you know, Shane Bieber spent, I think, a little bit less time in Lake County, and everybody thought he was a command over control pitcher, or a, a control over command pitcher, and um, a command over stuff, really. But Bybee's got, I think, better stuff at this stage of his career than Shane Bieber ever did. Like like we just said, um, Bieber never threw this hard, and I think uh, the fastball is a much more difficult pitch for hitters to take on than, than Shane Bieber's fastball was. Um, you know, it took a few years for Bieber to develop his breaking stuff. And 
I think Bybee still has some gains to be made there as well. I think the fastball and changeup are probably his best offerings. There's there's still some things he can work on in terms of his breaking stuff, but yeah, very similar that, like you said, not not highly recruited out of, out of high school and um, only through it up to ninety five in, in college and, and seemed like a command guy, and all of a sudden he looks like he has at least middle of the rotation, if not better upside now. And and so Justin Gavin Williams, uh, he is just just a, a beast. You know, he, he like his fastball, curveball, insane plus plus pitches, velocity is great. Also, legitimate four pitch mix. Now, obviously, he's not rule. He's not. He doesn't have to be protected for a few years. How how do you think they're going to manage? Like like Logan Allen is is a year ahead of him. How do you think they're going to manage guys that don't have to be on the forty? Where they could just purchase their contracts and then just elevate them to twenty six men. How do you think they're going to manage that when your better starters are really like more like a year away, and then you're going to have like Xavier, the Xavier on Curry's and the Hunter Gaddises who are pretty much going to be ready by opening day, but like when you have like three starters, as in Bybee, Gavin Williams, Logan Allen, that are probably that are much more highly regarded and a possibly higher floor, higher ceiling starters that aren't going to be 40-man eligible. How do you think they're going to manage that? Yeah, that's definitely a tough question. I mean, because the thing is, within the next two years, your best hitting prospects are all going to start, you know, hitting the majors. In the next two years, you'll have uh, whatever they decide to do at shortstop, whether that's uh, Matt Rosario or, or Arias or um, Brian Rocchio and you have Valera, and you'll have Bo Naylor. All those guys will be graduating to the majors in the next two years, so you'll find spots for them, and that's kind of your core whoever they decide to go with out of that group. And then, you know, Will Brennan too, I should throw in there, but um, yeah, in the next two years, like you said, Williams and Espino and, and Allen and Bidey are not necessarily uh, in the same window. So I think you got to be careful how you manage that because you want to continue to have reinforcements come through in, the, in terms of prospects and you don't want to kind of mess things up in terms of, I mean, you want your best, obviously your best players in the 26 man roster now, whenever they're ready to contribute and, help you win a, a division and a championship, but you have to make sure there's a role for them and you have to make sure you're, you're managing the pipeline correctly to, to continue to have reinforcements come forward. So I think it's, it's a good problem to have, but it's certainly dicey because, you know, even in the next two years, you still have um, Savali and Plesak and Quantrill and Bieber and McKenzie. And do you know, do you replace any of them with Gaddis or Curry or Battenfield or, Pilkington, uh, any of those guys, and if, you know Cody Cody Morris as well. If you if you do that, do you trade somebody? Do you try to send? Get you know? I think the biggest thing for them is they need to kind of reshuffle the deck where they might need to trade some of these guys and get some younger players in the pipeline and um, to continue to stock that and, and absolve their issue a little bit. So yeah, it's going to be tough to to navigate that. But I mean, I, I guess when you have enough good players, you'll figure it out. There's, uh, there's a solid chance. I think, I, look, they've been listening to calls on police. I mean, they listen to calls on everybody and they just set their price, but police actually just for, for whatever reason, he seems like the guy that's most likely to get traded in the off season. And then they're going to have just the dicey walk on the rope with Shane Bieber, you know, because in report he's turned down multiple contract extensions, then you're going to risk trading him in season, thick in the middle of a pennant race, 
So, and then that's probably our that's probably going to one we're going to see uh, a Gavin Williams make make his debut like when they resolve the situation with Bieber. How do you see the situation with Bieber playing out? Because it's been it's been reported by Mizell and and Jason Lloyd that he's you know he's rejected multiple contract offers. So and we know that the the best time to trade him is probably by, by two years of control remaining. I just but it's like the I just don't see them. It, they're subtracting from the major league roster at the same time. By get, yeah, so how do you see that playing out with Bieber? That's another tricky situation because you know if you trade him, like clearly that they're, well, they're in first place as of today, and they're maybe a little bit ahead of schedule contending wise, and um, it, you know theoretically they should go in the next year as a I don't know a division favorite, but they should be considered contenders for the division next year without a doubt. Um, it's tough. I mean, because he's definitely coming up on on free agency and he's going to get more expensive in arbitration. He continues to pitch well. You know, how do you feel about his velocity? I think it's, it's a lot of factors in, that go into that. And if you trade him, yeah, you've got pitching prospects that are that are really good in the, in the pipeline. But like we just said, Espino and Williams and Bobby Allen, they're not all ready next year. Those guys are, are two years away from, you know, maybe, maybe those guys are ready to contribute next year, but they're not ready to anchor your rotation next season. So maybe they wait until they have one year control left on Bieber and then trade him or maybe see That's where they thinking. are. I mean, That's I could see them. I could see them riding it out with him and just letting him go to free agency because really of the, uh, yeah, well, I know it's not like them and, and maybe they would, maybe the odds are greater. They trade him with one year control left, but given the, the window they're in, the fact that they're, they're pretty close to being, they definitely have the payroll work. flexibility to just let him ride out arbitration. Yeah, I think the biggest issue with that is they don't like to let guys walk for nothing. And yeah, yeah, you get you would get the comp pick. That's the biggest issue. I think they'd rather if, if there's a trade out there that they feel like would be better for them. So than maybe to just get the comp pick. Here's the biggest issue with the, the Bieber thing is is two things. Um, right now he's your ace and foreseeably he would be next season as well. And they're going to be, like I said, legitimate contenders for the division next year. It's hard to trade that guy and still consider yourself or to be serious contenders. How do you, how do you look at the players in the locker room and say, okay, we just traded Shane Bieber. We still think you're going to be contenders. That's hard to do. Not only that, you can't trade him for prospects that are going to be need to put on the 40 man because you've already got an issue there. So if it comes down to that, then you're talking about trading him for a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds that aren't, you know, don't have to be rostered for two or three years. Well, then you're trading him for a lot of uncertainty. You know, that's, that's really tough to do. It's, it's hard to, it's one thing to trade like, you know, Shane Bieber for a, uh, someone like a George Valera, let's say somebody else's George Valera. If you trade Bieber and he's your headliner, it's a lot easier to do that because you feel like Valera is as close to the majors. You know what he's going to be to an extent, but if you trade him for a 19 year old, you don't know what you're getting. And then you just risk trading your ace away for a 19 year old that may not pan out. So it's, it's definitely a tricky situation, how they're going to navigate that. It's a bit of a risk game because <laughs> I, I tweeted it out the other day. Uh, I think Bieber's price tag, even though his velocity is down, we've seen him really tap into that slider this year. Uh, his slider percentage is way up. 
Um, and it's very effective. And even though his fastball velocity is down, he's still sitting about six, seven, sometimes eight strikeouts per start. Um, his price tag just keeps going up. Um, and it is really interesting to see what, what that's going to look like. Honestly, I think if the Guardians tried to buy out his remaining arbitration years right now, I honestly think his he would favor going to free agency. Um, because I think he knows that the team is going to try to undercut him a bit. You know, we don't see guys like Jose Ramirez take team-friendly deals every year to stay in places. Um, hence why Juan Soto is going to become probably the first $500 million player. But... It, it is a risk. Like you said, you know, you have these young guys that, that they are pitching well in the minor leagues, but that doesn't exactly always translate to being effective at the major leagues. And it is a risk you, um, the, to watch that pan out. Do you think McKenzie, Justin, Tris McKenzie, I, I told Zach before Bill pretty much before the year started that he has Cy Young ability. And this is like, he, oh, he has, his stuff is incredible. Um, he really has Cy Young ability. Do you think that we're witnessing kind of like the Kluber um, Bieber thing, like like a like a changing of the guard? Like, do you think he's like the future ace of the rotation? Also, the way he carries himself, he's just such a well, like just carries himself so well. Um, do you see that, Justin? Like that he's gonna he's the future ace of the staff? Yeah, I, I think he definitely has the maturity to to grow into that for sure, and and. Bieber has been kind of a, kind of a quiet leader too, and I think he's continued on that that tradition and that uh, mindset that the they've kind of developed in that clubhouse, that the environment for pitchers to learn from each other and to pass on what they've learned from other guys, you know, from Kluber down to the Bowers and the Clevengers down to Bieber. Um, so I, I could definitely see that for sure, McKenzie. Obviously, there's going to be questions long term about the the frame and he's still, you know, he's, he's 128 innings this year. He's yeah, already so, thrown more, more yeah, innings I'm this sorry, year than last year. Yeah, so no, you're good. I, it's just the dirt. Like, obviously we get spooked out by the frame and, you know, he had some, yeah, he had some injuries in the minors, obviously, but the durability has been good. He's holding up in, at the major league level, especially this year. And then last year I thought he, you know, obviously he was up and down and, but durability wise, he pitched a lot of, he pitched a lot of innings without missing a, he had one, he had one start where he didn't recover fast enough and then he only missed one start though. But I think durability is, he's holding up fine. Do you think they would pursue a contract extension with McKenzie in the off season, Justin? I think that would be a very good extension candidate for them for sure. Especially with the rotation being in flux. I mean, Plesak and Savali are kind of, I hate to say they're fillers because they both pitch well at times and they're both effective starters. But as we've been discussing, I think that, the next wave of prospects has a lot more upside to offer than those guys do. And Quantrill is kind of in that same mold. So I think um, if you want to make a transition plan from this rotation to uh, whenever those guys are ready, if they're ready, whatever you decide to do, if you want to make a transition plan to the next group, I think McKenzie is a good candidate for an extension to be sort of an anchor for the rotation when that next wave does start to debut. The tricky part is, again, um, we haven't seen a whole lot of pitching extensions from them. I mean, Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco yeah. are the only real examples of guys that have gotten um, extensions pitching-wise. I think they're a little more careful about that because they know, you know, even they even up trading Carrasco. I know they had, had to do more with money than anything, but obviously he's physically had some issues since he left. But they're, they're a little bit more careful to get out from pitchers yeah. before – 
they start to get some injury issues with it comes with innings pitched in age. So that uh, I Mackenzie's what 25, he'll be 26, or he just turned 25 last week. So this would um, be the time to do it before he hits arbitration. Like this is like the yeah. season to, to extend them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is this is the winner you, you want to do it in for sure. Um, so I have a couple questions for you about like we have our obviously we have great um upswing in talent and a lot of guys that are gonna be on the corner, but there's there are guys on the roster like like Owen Miller, for example. Um he's basically stuck at playing first base. That's that's pretty much what he is right now. We always yeah, I always wondered that he could be I always wondered that he had the versatility to be much more than that. You know, I thought he he could play left field. They never tried him out. They always leaned third. I always wondered to myself, like, why isn't Owen Miller ever, ever play third base? Why? Like, I get it. His arm isn't great, but he's certainly capable. And he played a lot of third base in the minor leagues. Um, and, and he's basically, you know, the slugging isn't there. He's basically relegated to first base right now. He doesn't really hit lefties well. He hits righties better. What do you think is he a lock to be on the forty man next year, Justin? Like what do you think they like what do you think they do with him? Because it's it's holding up like a bunch of like he's really just a first baseman. And if and if it, when it all comes down to it, the WRC plus it's not like he's really just a major league average second baseman, pretty much, Owen Miller. If, if, if it, maybe it's tad but maybe a tad below, which which is good. That's great. But it's but it's just not what we need. Like what do you think ends up happening with him? Yeah, he definitely had a, his April has kind of carried him this year, and he hasn't really carried that over. I still think there's more in there than he's shown. I mean, obviously, I don't think he's as good as he was in April. He had like a, a over yeah, a thousand OPS. Yeah, I don't think that's in there. Um, I do think there's a valuable player in there for sure. I think he's a a guy who can hit, you know, 15 home runs and can play multiple positions. Puts up a good at bat. He's, he's just a solid player. I think the, I think the future role is, is a bench player for him, and they they should take advantage of his versatility. And is he would he be great at third base? Uh, you know, probably not. He'd be okay there. I think he's definitely better. It's better suited at second base. I think the other thing to think about with Miller too is, yeah, he's twenty five. He'll be twenty six this offseason. But you know, he had um, essentially two. I would say two full seasons in the minors. You know, he played. Uh, he played half of 2018. Um, he played all of 2019, and then he played 2021. He went, was in AAA for um, a handful of games before he was in Cleveland the rest of the year. So this is not a guy who's had a lot a lot of minor league reps. I mean, I, I think the minor leagues, he's probably only had – and some guys don't need that many at-bats, but he's probably only had 900 at-bats above um, high A. So – doesn't necessarily have a ton of pro experience. I just don't. And he's get, getting a I lot just, of it the majors. I just don't get the fit. Um, the, like, like he's he doesn't profile as a first baseman. Um, he doesn't hit lefties well for his for for a right-handed hitter. He hits right. He hits right-handed pitching a lot better than he does lefty lefties. And I just always thought it was telling that they they chose to put Ernie Kement in left field over Owen Miller. I just they never thought about it. It was never a conversation. Like, like. He, I just, I always thought that was, isn't that telling to you, Justin, in a way of how they, like, maybe they don't think he's capable of being a utility, a, a super utility player. Like, I, for that... one, am thankful that the carousel of left fielders is over. <laughs> just me. 
<laughs> but it's just weird to me the way they he's used. He's just they just he literally is strictly a first baseman right now. That's pretty much what he is. And then they had him at DH like the like like we like two days this week. I just don't understand how he fits on the major league roster. Yeah, he only played one one game in the outfield in the minors last year, and and actually first base was new to him last year. He didn't play first base yeah, in the minors was, before either. Weird. So. I, they are trying to increase his versatility, I think, because they are trying to get more out of him as a bench player. I think he's he's fine at second. He's not. I don't know, he's he's, he's, he's good player, by the way. It's, I'm just saying, I just don't think he fits for what we need on this roster. Yeah, I, I think for sure you'll see somebody supersede him next year. I don't know if he'll get as many at bats next season, um, given what they have going on. But yeah, I, I do think his future role is on the bench. Now he could be a good player on the bench for sure. Um, and definitely, you're right. Definitely telling that Ernie Clement was was in, in the outfield. They do trust Clement a lot more defensively, and I think for good reason. Not necessarily to knock Owen Miller, but Ernie Clement is a great defender, and he's a great defender wherever you put him. Second, short, third. Um, there were some who thought he could play center field as as a pro. I don't know if he's gotten that chance yet. I think he might have in college a little bit, but Ernie Clement's a, an elite defender, and it's a hard. That's a a hard bar to get up his. There's definitely a future bench role for him. Very, there's a lot of value in, in what he can do off the bench. I think for this team, it's just when you have Tyler Freeman's and Brian Rocchio's and Andre Jimenez's that have way more upside. I think yeah, you have to find a role that suits Owen Miller a little bit better within the next year. So Zach, I'm sorry. I just want to get this. It's it's a popular take right now these days. I just want to get your thoughts on how this Ahmed Rosario situation is going to play out. Um, He's having a great year. Nobody can deny that. He's improved defensively as well. Um, but he's definitely not better than Gabriel Arias defensively at shortstop. Um, ha- now, at the same time, obviously, it's, yeah, it's great to see Tyler Freeman get more bats and Gabriel Arias possibly to get a chance at a full-time shortstop. But you can't deny that if you trade him, you're taking away from the major league roster in terms of offensive. You can make the case that he's been our most consistent hitter the last two years. So... How do you see this playing out with him? I think if, I think in the offseason you find out what his value is. I think you know you're not going to give him away for nothing. Obviously, you're going to set a value, that, and that's what Cleveland does. They set a value on their players, and then they look for it to trade. And if you don't need it, they don't make a trade. So, um, I think if they could find, it's not going to be for a prospect. It's going to have to be for somebody that fits in the major league roster next year. That's a reliever or a starter. Something like I they think they can, like, they can find something for him. You can't, you can't send Garby Gabriel Arias back to Columbus again, you know, uh, next year. You just can't. He, he, he said, I think his, his, he's had, he's, I think his year kind of gets overblown. He got hit in the hand. He had, he had a major, he had a, I think he had a hand injury that can mess up your mechanics for a bit. And then he gets hit in the face. He gets, he gets hit in the elbow. And he's just had a, he's had a really de- a tough year. So I think his, you know, his, his slash line is a bit overblown for what he could be long term. How how do you see how how do you look at Gabriel Arias, Justin? I mean, Arias is an elite defender. Again, he's a guy who can win a Gold Glove if he if he played shortstop every day up here right now. I think he's that good of a defender. Uh, I don't know where he fits. I I I have had questions about the bat since they traded for him. I don't know right. if he's going to hit enough to really make an impact. He's definitely not going to have the same offensive impact as Ahmed Rosario. He, well, he has 
okay speed. It's not a Rosario speed. He doesn't make contact the way Rosario does. Maybe a little more power, um, but a lot more swing and miss as well. So I, I have a lot of questions about the about the, the offense from him. Um, yeah, you could, you could turn it over pop. to him. Yeah, it does have some pop. Um, but don't you think they have to make a decision on him one way or the other? If that means trade him, trade him. If that means find a way, find a find a spot for him on the on the twenty six man, then fine. But don't you think it's time to make a decision on him? Yeah, it definitely is. Like on a couple of those guys, I mean, look, you've got Andre Semedes, who has cemented himself as one of the starters for the next several years, whether it's second base or shortstop long term. He's definitely going to be a fixture in the lineup. So you've got one spot left for Arias and, and Freeman and, and Rocchio, and I guess we'll see what happens to Jose Tana. And you've got you know one year of Rosario left. So look, if they if they don't get if they don't get a trade back that they like for Rosario in the offseason, they may go in the next year with him, and maybe they'll see if they can trade Gabriel Arias for what they're looking for, whether that's like I said, a reliever or a starter or some other position they want to shore up in the offseason. Maybe he's part of that and. There are prospects they do need to trade to clear forty man spots. So, right. yeah, it's hard to see. But to it's, see but them kind of going the, into spring training with both of them. It's kind of the Shane Bieber situation where if you trade him, obviously you're t- you're you, you can't argue that you're taking away his uh, a big time production on the major league roster. So it's just like a you know I just don't I, it's a lot it's a big yeah. Zach you have questions. So uh, we need to start wrapping up because I have completely lost track of time, <laughs> but that's okay because it's good conversation. Yeah, good conversation lends itself to natural carry, and it just really goes to show you, like when we talk about prospects, like there is literally not enough time within the window that we have for most of our podcast episodes to talk about everything. I mean, we haven't even there's there's guys we haven't even talked. I want to fire away with Justin really like, you know, some rapid fire. So we'll, we'll start getting us wrapped up out of here. We got about 10 minutes left. Um, so big name prospects that we haven't touched on yet. I wanted to save these guys for last. So Isaiah, Isaiah green. I like Isaiah. I love Isaiah green, but I want to, I want to touch on Bo Naylor. Bo Naylor is a hot topic right now. I know. Um, so it is interesting uh, you know, the club's third catcher, Brian Lavastida, is at double A Akron. Uh, Bo's getting primary catcher reps for triple A Columbus. Do you think potentially with the expanded roster in September that the club makes a move to add him to the 40 man? And do you think we see him in the majors this year or are they slow rolling him and he has a chance to make the team out of spring training next year? It's going to, again, it's going to depend on the composition of the roster. I would say as of right now, um, no, I, I don't see room for him on the roster right now. I don't know who you can let go of to add Bo Naylor to the 40. I mean, you have Cody Morris coming back this week, probably for Jake Jewell, who's on the 40. Uh, it was a temporary situation. Have we even uh, seen Jake Jewell in a game yet? Nope. He got demoted for Savali coming back yesterday. Yep. Yeah, he was an insurance policy after um, Hunter Gaddis's uh, short game. I mean, yeah, they would have to find somebody to get off the roster. And, I mean, yeah, Luke Malian and Austin Hedges are probably out for next year at this point. Uh, you know, Hedges is a free agent. Malian's got a year of arbitration, but I don't know if they're going to pay him. Um, you know, Brian Shaw's a free agent at the end of the year. I'm not sure what you do there. You could – they, you know, they could – 
if they're really, really comfortable with their bullpens, and I think they want to bring a reliever up, that's going to be the two things, two one area they're going to they're going to want to do in September is they're going to need to bring a reliever up. And I don't know who the reliever is going to be. Maybe it'll be Gaddis. Maybe it'll be Pilkington out of the bullpen. Uh, but they're definitely going to want to add a, a reliever uh, on the 28 man roster on, when they expand to 28. You know, as of right now, when they do. Uh, maybe maybe they like Jake Jewell better than Anthony Castro. I don't know. One of those two guys will go for Cody Morris. So I don't I don't think one of those two guys will be the reliever in September. Uh, maybe that'll be Cody Morris in September. Actually, now that I think about it, but um, yeah, I guess those are two spots you you in theory could clear up to bring Bo Naylor on, but it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be very tight for them to make room for him um, in terms of a forty man spot. It's going to have to come down to a couple things and. Um, let's see. Yeah. Morris, Morris for Castro or Jewel. And then, yeah, I guess you could maybe cut one of those other guys off the 40 through Bo Naylor, but that's the only spot I can see it working is if they're comfortable with, um, uh, Zach, um, cutting those two bullpen spots. Zach, after this Bo Naylor question, we're going to do a rapid fire. We're going to just like name a prospect and we're just going to get Justin's thoughts on him. Okay. Okay. But, um, but I just, you and Willie touched on this, Justin, you had a great conversation about it. Do you think Bo Naylor, you maybe pair him with Luke Mayo. He has another year of team control. Do you think Bo Naylor could be on the opening day as a starting catcher, opening day roster, paired with Luke Mayo, um, or Austin Hedges, one of those? Do you Don't think forget Lavastida too? Well, yeah. Do you, do you think Bo Naylor is capable of that? Yeah, I do. I, I'm su- I'm kind of surprised they they had Quan on the opening day roster, but I don't know if Naylor has the same exact skills, but. Um, yeah, if Quan could do it, then I think maybe they could do it with uh, Bo Naylor. But I think it's it would be very rare if they do. All right, Zach, you want to say that? Uh, yeah. So I'll ask you this just real quick about Bo. What is your favorite part about his game? So you know, obviously, all of us. I don't think some people who have been able to watch his game. You know, obviously, minor league baseball TV is one. It's not exactly the most known about thing, and two. It's not always accessible. Um, what makes him so unique? Like if you were going to try to explain to someone in layman's terms, what has us literally chomping at the bit, what make, what is something why we should be excited about him? I think the approach is really good. I think he, he draws a lot. He sees a lot of pitches. I think he sees over four pitches in the bat. So yep. has a lot of good counts and, and you'd be surprised. He is a good athlete. He, um, yeah, he's a catcher, but he runs very well. He does not run like your typical catcher. He could probably play second or third base if he needed to, if they asked, they liked him. So, uh, the athleticism and the speed is definitely something that stands out for him as a catcher. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, and that's really cool too, because, you know, not very often you see a catcher in the minor leagues that, uh, bats in the leadoff spot, especially a left-handed catcher. Um, you know, it should tell you a bit about his speed and his versatility, uh, usually your leadoff man, high contact, high on base guy. Uh, that's usually a threat to go first to third on a good hit. So I like that. Lots of good reason to be excited. So Chuck, you've got some rapid fire for him. We got a couple minutes left, so let's take us out of here. All right, Justin, Gabriel Rodriguez, uh, high, high ceiling guy. I think he had the largest international signing bonus in franchise history, I believe, when he signed. Um, what do you think they do with him? Do you think they protect him? Uh, I don't think they have room for him, no, but I think they do really like him. I think he's had a, a very good breakout year. Um, uh, Under-the-radar guy, Jonathan Jonathan Rodriguez. 
A uh, lot of power. I think it's a all or nothing approach. Uh, the 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 arm's pretty good out there. The athleticism is okay, but I think it's an all or nothing offensive approach. Isaiah Green, what have you seen? Now, obviously, you like to see the batting average be a bit higher, but I think his um, on base percentage is a number we need to need to like grasp and feel good about. What do you think about him, Justin? Yeah, definitely another guy that works the count can can go deep into counts and, and just draw walks. I think there's still some issues with the swing and. He can beat with velocity upstairs, plenty of speed, and, and a very good defender in the outfield. But, yeah, it's going to be a real big question about his hit tool. Justin. All right, I got one. I got one. Petey oh. Halpin. Yes, that guy's a beast. Petey Halpin, the number one prospect in everybody's hearts. <laughs> he said he said he said a very good second half. I He is such a young player, and he, he does a lot of good things. I think uh, I think there's still a lot of upside there that we haven't seen yet. Justin, Carson Tucker, what is going on? Like uh, like he's having a bad year. Obviously, some injuries. I just pull up. Uh, like I'm trying to like watch Lynchburg, and he's just not. In the, he's not in the lineup. Like what? Like, what's going on? Yeah, he, he had a wrist injury last year. I'm not sure what it is again this year, but uh, he hasn't had a lot. It, it's yeah, it's not good. It's definitely going turning in the wrong direction. And when he's been in there, the swing has looked all out of sorts. Tanner Burns. Uh, solid floor guy. Uh, I think he's lost a little bit of his prospect luster. Look, if he, if he gets healthy, he has battled shoulder and elbow issues. The last two, the last two seasons, I think the stuff is kind of taking a step back because of it, but if he can get hundred percent healthy, there is still a, a, a mid rotation guy in there. All right. Next to last one, junior San Quentin. Nice. Nice. Uh, uh, I like it. Yeah, he's he's broken out a little bit in this the second half, at least the month of August. He's had a better month of August, but um, he's a guy who was signed as a shortstop and is now a huge kid. Like whatever you see his weight and height listed at on MILB, it is definitely not accurate anymore. He has grown a lot and swing and miss. There's a lot of power. I think Boomer Bruss profile now. All right, my my last one. He's our favorite uh, on the show. We we spoke to him. Where are you on the great Nate Furman, Zach? What do you, what do you, uh, Justin? What do you think of his, uh, what do you think of his, of his uh, profile? I'm big on Nate Furman. I think that's uh, yes. kind of an infield version of, of Will Brennan or maybe Stephen Kwan. I think he might be an infield Stephen Kwan. Definitely a second baseman, but I think, I think there's a very uh, Stephen Kwan profile to his game. He's a favorite of the show, so I, I, I wanted to make sure we, we asked you. Yeah, about we it. were, we were blessed enough to sit down with him, man. He was awesome, and. Uh, one of the things that I think makes him so exciting is uh, he understands the mental part of the game of baseball. He's very in tune as a hitter with understanding that consistency and approach is going to serve him well. So I'm super excited to see what that looks like. Justin, I got one last one for you. All right now, I thought of another one, so I'll go after you. The only one we haven't talked about, at least in my mind, that we had to talk about, uh, George Valera. Woo! Yeah, I think he'll be a solid everyday outfield. I don't know if he'll ever reach all-star potential. I think there's uh, enough power in there to be an, a good average regular, and, and he'll get on base. I think you'll see a, a guy who can put up an 800 OPS and play a really good right field and, and bring some flair to the game. Yep. All right, Chuck, you got the last one. Josh Wolf. Ooh, okay. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of... Injuries yeah. and inconsistencies. Uh, I like the fastball and the curveball. I think there's there's a nice two pitch mix there. As a future reliever, I think he's got to bulk up and I think he's got to work on the control. But um, I think there's a lot of risk in that profile. I'm sorry, uh, Zach. We just want to speed this up. Uh, we I think we should talk about him because he's he's on the forty man. 
uh, Carlos Vargas. Uh, he had a, we he, haven't he, talked about Vargas. Yeah, he had, he had a good outing uh, the other night, uh, two, two, two innings. Um, obviously, big big velo guy, um, monster slider. What do you think of him, Justin? And what, what do you think his impact will be on this uh, in the organization next year? Uh, I'd like to see him as a reliever, personally. I think the, the fastball doesn't miss enough bats to be in the rotation, and I haven't seen the changeup this year. I think it's to be determined to see what happens to him next year because I think you need to see him pitch a year removed from Tommy John. I think it's unfair to make a, a definitive evaluation on him uh, in 2022. Yep, Chuck, and actually you said that the other day uh, when we sat down and talked that it's not really fair to judge him coming off of TJ. Uh, especially in a shortened season format. So, they didn't pitch in 2020 either, so. Yeah, well, in the, the whole minor league season, like, you just have to completely throw out 2020 for most of those guys anyways because the, that year was a complete wash. Well, and Justin, Justin do you ahead. think do you think they keep Ethan Hankins and, and try to, or try to sneak him through because it just came off of the Tommy John? I think they'll try to sneak him through for sure. I don't think they'll, they'll roster him. They didn't roster Luis Oviedo, and he did get taken, but – I have a hard time seeing them rostering Ethan Hankins given their situation. Yep. All right, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it was an honor, (laughs) Justin, letting us pick your brain. Uh, You know, we love talking about prospects here and we have good reason to as Cleveland fans. The future is very bright. Uh, How awesome is that rapid fire? We got to do that more often. That was awesome. The front office has blessed us with understanding the confines that they have to work with and drafting incredibly well. So, Justin, I appreciate having you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was fun. I appreciate you guys asking. Absolutely. All right, guys. I'm Zach. That's Chuck. This is Guardians at the Corner. This show is brought to you by Network 216. If you guys missed this show or you want to go back and watch anything from it tomorrow, it should be on our YouTube channel. All you got to do is go on YouTube and search Network 216. It'll be on there. But for now, so long and go Guardians. So there you guys go. That was uh, pretty fun. I had a lot of fun sitting down and talking to Justin, and I am super thankful that he chose to join us. So uh, obviously I like preserving these types of interviews in audio format. It's a lot easier to go and listen to these and kind of just like listen to them throughout the day. And uh, this one was one that was uh, pretty special. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. And so if you guys made it this far, thank you for listening. I'm Zach. Today is Tuesday, August 16th. This podcast will be up around noon today. I just have to finish editing it and do the description. Um, I apologize for the break in content. Um, I had some things that I needed to take care of uh, that were pressing matters that absolutely 110% could not wait. And so that's just a really good reminder uh, that for as much as we love talking sports and talking ball and watching games and stuff, uh, there is a lot of more important things in life than, you know, sitting down and talking about things we enjoy. So I'm lucky that I get to do it. I'm blessed that I have a co-host who is as smart and as charismatic as Chuck is. Uh, But sometimes other priorities have to come first and that's okay. So make sure y'all are taking care of your families. Make sure you guys are taking care of your mental health. Take care of you today. And I will go ahead and sign off. Uh, Obviously, guards just finished a doubleheader. Xavion Curry had his major league debut. Uh, Chuck and I will talk about that later this week. Don't forget, we have a live show this Thursday. We'll be on at either 8 or 9 p.m. Uh, I think it's going to be 9 p.m. now that I think about it because uh, TJ cannot sit down for an interview until 9.15, if I remember correctly. I'll get all that ironed out. Keep your eyes on the Twitter. 
You guys can find us on social media. You can find the podcast account at at the corner pod. You can find Chuck at Chuck six three six one eight nine one zero, or you can find my personal account at Zachary underscore Buckeye. Uh, go Guards! We've got a another game versus Detroit today. Split the doubleheader yesterday. Xavion Curry getting his major league debut. Looked pretty good. Sucks that he didn't get the win. He pitched long enough and was in the lead when he was. Uh, Yanked from the game, and uh, Eli Morgan is cooked, man. He is 110% not what he used to be, um, and that stinks because you're missing another high-leverage guy in the bullpen. But Karen Chak has been okay. He's throwing a lot of pitches. He's getting it done, so we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about on Thursday uh, and as the week goes on. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back to your regularly scheduled Monday episode releases next week. Uh and we got plenty of more stuff coming for you guys. So hang tight. There's lots more stuff coming in the live shows. You guys should definitely check them out. Uh, all you have to do to find that channel is go to twitch.tv slash network216. And there you can find all of our shows. If you guys are Cleveland Browns fans, we've got Browns shows. Um, we have a betting show that Grant and Matt do. They're fantastic. They'll tell you guys how to make some cash. And they hit. Uh, I'm not kidding, man. If you want a second paycheck and you're not afraid to throw a little money down on some parlays, you guys need to check that shit out because Grant and Matt know what they're talking about. Um, Grant says, you know, betting the books is second paychecks, how he pays himself. So make sure you guys check that out. We just launched the Scarlet and Gray podcast that's going to be on Mondays for uh, Ohio State football, and we ain't even done yet. Um, as you guys know, like Columbus Blue Jackets hockey, ton of hype this season. Johnny Gaudreau, Patrick Line getting signed. Uh, we're going to be launching a Blue Jackets show that I'm going to be hosting with a very knowledgeable and talented fan, Madigan O'Brien. Uh, that's going to be called Cannon District. We're going to be working on the first episode, trying to get squared away right around the time that Blue Jackets camp starts uh, just after Labor Day. So you guys are going to make sure you tune into that as well. We have you covered. If it exists north of Columbus, we got y'all. Uh, and we've even talked about adding a Columbus Crew podcast because crew fans are faithful and they deserve to be represented. And representing fan bases is something we're big on here at Network 216. So if you guys need anything for your Ohio sports needs, except Bengals because they're really Kentucky, we don't claim them, uh, we got you guys. So, uh, and the Reds for that matter. So twitch.tv slash Network 216 for all the live shows. Uh, and you can find our podcast if you go to the Network 216 Twitter at Network underscore 216. I'll get out of you guys this hair. Have a blessed day. I hope you guys enjoyed this. we got plenty more good stuff coming for you. But for now, this is Zach. I'm out. Go Guards.